hurts my mom's eagle eye. Do y'all know what I'm talking about? I mean, you can walk in and, and you think that you're just, I got it all done. And she goes, well, what about that? Now, funny, I was telling Deborah that I was going to use this illustration yesterday. And she said, and my mom said she could find everything I missed and said, one time, Old people understand this. Young people don't know anything about this. One time I said, but Mom, look at what all I did. She said, I never made that mistake yet. You see, I didn't want to face that. When I think about my mom walking in and looking around the house and finding them, you know what it reminds me of? I know in recent days I'm not even supposed to use this name, but I remember back in the 80s when Bill Cosby did his video, he talked about his wife coming downstairs because he was feeding his children chocolate cake, and he was able to look through with eyes of fire, look through him. But you know what it reminds me of? The 14th chapter of Revelation, where Jesus has those eyes of fire. And theologically, those eyes of fire is to look through all the facade, your attitude and everything, and see the real you. My mom could look and see whatever I missed. Have y'all got me? Are y'all there? And you go, Brother Jerry, why did you tell that story? Well, when the payoff came at at our house, I got the biggest. I got the most privileges or maybe a little money or whatever. One day when Jesus comes back, one day when this world's called to a close, the question is not, the question you should deal with this morning is not whether you think you're ready to go to heaven or not. It's likely that in this room, on a rainy Sunday morning, it's likely that every person in this room will say, Yeah, I'm going to pray. I've prayed the prayer. I've been baptized. I trusted Jesus. I've been saved. I'm a church member, so I'm ready to go to heaven. But just in case, just in case there's someone here who's on the fence, doesn't really know, or you really know you've never trusted Jesus. I just need to say this to you. It's not a matter if you've been baptized. It's not a matter if you're a church member. It's not a matter if you're a Sunday school teacher, a preacher, a music director, an associate pastor. None of those things matter. Here's the truth. I wear this on my wrist almost everywhere I go. And it reminds me. Let me just tell you about this. The first circle is God's design. God designed us to be perfect. He designed us to be immortal. He designed us to fellowship with Him from all eternity. That's his design for us. But he blew into mankind back in the Garden of Eden the, the breath of life. That's, that's his spirit. And so we have, a, we have the ability to make decisions. Our first couple made the decision to sin. And that decision to sin has been wired into our DNA ever since. We got to spend a good bit of time with our grandkids. Thanks for asking. Thanks for your kind words. But we got to spend some time with our grandkids. But I'm going to just tell you something. We have a five-year-old granddaughter wired 110 and plugged into 220, so you figure out how that goes. When she was two years old, at her two-year-old birthday party, her mom was driven crazy by one word. Mine! Mine! Do you know why that child did that? Mom didn't teach that child to do that. Dad wouldn't teach that child to do that. 
It's because it's hardwired into our who we are. Sin is the way that we go if we never change directions. And that sin separates us from God and leads us to a broken condition. We will never be right before God. We will never see the gates of heaven in our present condition. But here's the greatest news. When we were sinners, at just the right time, God, he didn't go through heaven and say, who will go down there and die for these folks? No. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die for my sin and your sin. And it is only when we place our faith and our trust in him and invite him into our lives. It's only when we repent. It's on here. Repent and repent. Listen, repentance, military guys, is a about face. Those folks who feel like you're okay, if you're in your sin, you cannot face Jesus because you can't two masters, you can't face two directions. So you repent and you believe in Jesus. Jesus died for your sin. He'll forgive your sin. He'll give you new life. If you follow him, he will give you everything you need to be made right before the Father. He will justify you before the Father. That's the gospel, the good news that Jesus loves us and dies for us. And when we get, when we trust him, we're recovered. We're recovered. We are back into that relationship with God that he wanted us to have. We're renewed. And now we have purpose. Because we're back to God's design. If that's never happened to you, it can before you leave today. I'll be glad to talk to you about it at the end of the service or when the service is over. The truth is is that it's important. It's important. Are you prepared? Are you prepared to meet God and answer for your decisions, for your actions, for your work. Now let's unpack this a little bit. If you still have your Bibles open, I want you to look verse at verse 42 to start with. Jesus begins looking for the faithful and the wise manager. He is looking for someone who is so faithful that he can reward them, give them something. This person is the one that has their shoulder to the plow. This is the one that, that meets with Jesus every day, that shares with Jesus, that, 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 that does his part in the kingdom. He's the one that's faithful. 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 Michael Katz, a friend of mine, if you don't know that name, he pastors the Sherwood Church. Sherwood Baptist Church in Albany, Georgia. This is the church that made the well-known movies, Flywheel, Face of the Giants, Fireproof, Courageous, War Room. You will. Pray for Mike. He just announced last Sunday that he's taken a three-month sabbatical in January, February, March. He's been fighting cancer for a couple of years. He's a warrior, a prophet. Pray for him. But I heard him say that he had read a survey not long ago. What constitutes a faithful member among Southern Baptists? And that survey came out. 
If someone attends 39 Sundays a year, Jimmy, they're considered faithful. Now, I put a pencil to that this morning. That's 75% of the time. I don't know about you, but I'm going to tell you, if I tried that with Miss Deborah sitting right back there, honey, faithful 75% of the time. Do you think she'd take it? I tell you, you'd need a new pastor because this one will be dead. Well, let me ask you, ladies. Would you? How about eighty percent? Accept your husband being faithful to you eighty percent? I should have shown them. I should have shown the marriage a video today. This couple goes to the altar. Everything's going good. He does his vows, totally committed. And the girl goes. You know, you're my hero, you're my this, I commit to you this. And said, but I have one favor to ask. One day a year, just one day, I want to be single again. I want to run with old boyfriends. I want to run with old friends. I don't want any commitment. Now, let me just ask you a question, folks. How many of you would buy that? I'm going to tell you how many. None that's got good sense. Why is it that we think God deserves less than our mate deserves? You see, Jesus is looking for a faithful, a faithful, a faithful person and wise person. Verse 42 tells us that. Now, I can go on, verse, but let's skip down to verse 45. I'm afraid verse 45 reveals many of the 21st century churches and Christians in America. Here it is, verse 45. But if that servant says to himself, so he's not saying it out loud, this is his attitude. Are you all with me? It's his attitude. Could it be your attitude? Well, watch what he says. He says, my master is delayed in coming. Huh? This sounds like us today. We know Jesus is coming, but he's not coming today. Nobody got up this morning and said, even so, come quickly today, Lord. Here's the deal. It says that the master's delayed in coming, so he begins to beat his male and female servants and to eat, drink, and get drunk. Now, don't get hung up on the cultural aspects of Jesus' teaching. The folks he was teaching, they understood that picture. That happened. But here's the deal for us today. The master is returning But he's not returning. We don't really know. And so we become unfaithful in our life, in our task, in our calling. When I was here in the 70s, Debbie, we sang a lot of second coming songs at that time. Do you hear much of that anymore? Well, every now and then. But you see, we kind of come complacent to it. Now move to verse 46. The master of that servant, here's what happens, the master of that servant will come on a day when the servant does not expect him at an hour he does not know. And he will cut him into pieces. So let's just kind of pull that apart. The master will come when he does not expect it. This points to the second coming of our Lord Jesus. And since the servant isn't ready, the master cuts him into pieces and puts him in a place for unbelievers. Now, I'm going to remind you of this until it becomes second nature to you. 
I said this a couple of weeks ago. The Bible doesn't say what it means. It doesn't mean what it says. It means what it means. We're talking about cut it into pieces. And you know, boy, that's terrible. Well, that could have happened back then, but let's put that today. There is not an adult in this room. Well, there might be one, but there's not many. If you've had a job in your life that you messed up, failed, screwed up, cost your company something, and your boss came in and literally verbally cut you into pieces. Trying to get you back on the right track. And the reason that I believe that Jesus is speaking hyperbole like that is because then he says, not only does he cut him into pieces, but he puts them in a place with the unbelievers. Does everybody know where that is? You see, Jesus is going somewhere with this. That word cut, cut, cut him into pieces literally means he cuts him off. So now we have the picture. We have the picture of the one who is ready to meet the Lord, the one who is saved and faithful, the one who is not ready. And so now let's get to verse 47. And I'm going to ask you, are you ready, are you prepared to meet God face to face on His terms? By the way, you will not meet God on your terms. His terms. Verse 47 is our principle. I want to give you the principle. I don't know who's up there, but go ahead. There we go. And here it comes. Here's the principle for today. To whom much is given, much will be required. I just We're going to leave that up there for a little bit. I want that to burn in you. You see, much given in... Much produced out. So let me just, that principle in front of you, let me just mention three things quick before I get to the heart of the message. Here it is. I want you to think church, family, and yourself. First of all, the church. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just telling you about it. Church. When you think about what God has given us as a church, we shouldn't be proud. We should be humble. You see, the truth is there are many church fellowships who do not have, do not possess anything like this church possesses. Trust me, in my life, I have been in over 100, 150 churches. We have the people. We have the building. We have the finances. I'll just tell you, finances. My son walked through our building this week and had... Brent, when you met him out there, he was kind of looking at the buildings, and he goes, oh, Dad, y'all have so much potential to reach so many resources, to touch people, to help people, to reach people. You see, God has entrusted us to be stewards of his ministry. We're not to be tight-fisted. In fact, we may use that study one day, how to live open-handed in a tight-fisted world. With due respect to every church in our region, 
No one has the opportunity and the potential that this church has. You think these are words? I've told some of you this, and I don't say this to pat me on the back. I'm just... On a Tuesday, I start my third month here. About two, three weeks ago, I was up in the crow's nest doing some technology work. And I came down and just got to looking around and thinking about where we are, who we are, whose we are. I sat down on that pew and almost became overwhelmed. Because how good God has been to me to put me here. Because we have been given so much. And the question is, what are we going to do with what He's given us? To whom much is given, what much is required? Please listen. I make no apologies. God's not going to give us a pass. We don't get a spiritual pass. Our Lord is looking for kingdom results. Let me pick on us. I've not picked on us much since I've been here because I'm so overwhelmed to be here. I do not yet perceive us to be a praying church. Oh, we're a church that prays. But when we become a praying church, prayer will become our first option. Altars will be filled with unashamed people who come to ask God to do something that they're not seeing in your lifetime. That's the starting point. No offense. No offense. I don't think we're a worshiping church yet. Oh, do we sing? During our worship time, we do. But I think that when we become a worshiping church, that our hearts will literally touch heaven as we sing and share His wondrous praises because of His grace and His mercy. We're not an evangelistic church yet. I think we will be. We're not a discipleship-creating church. We probably do okay with our understanding of fellowship, but the true quantity of fellowship of the New Testament is where we're drawn together and captive together by belief and not by food. I saw it happen in Hurley, Mississippi. I went down there to... uh, You'll like this, Tate. I was going to play golf, and I stopped to get breakfast. And right across the room, there's a group of men from a neighboring church sitting there sharing faith together. That was their time to grow in the Lord together. You see, folks, to whom much is given, much is required. Your church. How about your family? Man, I think one of the greatest things, one of the greatest parts of being on the creek is you see these families sitting together. Who was it? One of the ladies said to me, it may have been Beth, but it may not have been. I don't want to hang something on her that's not hers. She's got plenty on her own. Somebody said to me, said, you better be watching, talking about anybody in this church. And I said, I'll never open my mouth. They said, good thing, because everybody is kin to everybody at some place. And that's good. That gives us connection. But here's my question for you. What is it that your family is doing for the kingdom? One of the dangers of being family is to get so exclusive 
that nobody feels welcomed. You know what I love? I'd love for people when they walk in that back door, when they drive on the parking lot, to know that this is a church that wants them here. We're a people that want them here. Personal. Based on my personal experience of what I read in God's Word, everybody in this room who knows Christ, every redeemed person, every child of God, the only way you get to be a child of God is you're born and you're adopted. You don't gravitate in there. Every redeemed person has a calling on your life. Uh, it's not everybody's not called to preach or sing or play or be an associate pastor, but I believe that God has called us to be something and to do something. And we have to be before we can do. He calls us to be generous. He calls us to be gracious. He calls us to be giving. He calls us to be faithful. He calls us to be fruitful. He calls us to be Spirit-filled. Aware of the Spirit everywhere we go, every day we live. With all that in the background, don't panic. If you're watching your clock, don't panic. You're going to be okay. You're going to survive. With all that in the background, I want to offer you three words from our text. Three words from our text. These are words for your personal inspection, for your personal reflection, and for your personal deliberation as to how you are ready or prepared to meet God. The first word is the word received. Received. To whom much is given. We stop right there on this, on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. Good place to begin. Being prepared to meet God means that we recognize what God has given to us. Brothers and sisters, I'm not trying to talk in heavenly terms. Let me, let me tell you why this is tough for us guys on the creek. I know I just got here, but I feel like I've been living on the creek all my life because I was raised in South Mississippi, spent so much time in Mississippi, and I sinned and God sent me to Alabama for a while. So I, I, I repented and got back over here, okay? Here's what I'll say to you. The reason we have so much trouble being thankful it's because we were brought up and taught to work and achieve, get from our work. And we're so caught up in that that we forget that whatever we have is a gift from God. Our health, our jobs, our family, our money, our talents. Please listen. Every one of those things is a gift from God. Your health. Two deaths yesterday. You know what? In the last two weeks, God's called a lot of people home. And young people, whether you believe it or not, these bodies are frail. And they'll give out on you. Our health, our jobs, our money. I'm never going to apologize for telling you that you should be, you and I should be dropping a tithe, his tithe in the offering plate. 
His tithe, then we can give our offerings. If we haven't given His we can't give an offering. He's called us to give. But I'm going to tell you what. You look down that list, health, job, family, money, talents. You don't give them to Him. He can take them away from you. Did you hear everything put in there? You put something in front of God. You put your grandchildren in front of God. You better be careful. He may take that grandchild. You put your job. You may lose your And this year, anything's possible. To whom much is given, much is required. You know, you know what the truth is? We, we have been so blessed that we've lost perspective. And the reason we've lost perspective is because of the enormity, the enormity of what you and I have received from God. What we've been given. Let me just lay those things I just mentioned aside. You know what the biggest thing we've been given? It starts, it ends, and it's all about Jesus. It starts, it ends, and it's all about Jesus. He died to justify us and make us right before the Father. Spiritually and socially, we've been given so much, we can't even imagine. By the way, tidbit before I move forward. Do you realize that everybody in this room is in the top 5% economically in the world? There are people, you make more in a day than the average person in the third world makes in a year. Brother Jerry, you don't know what I make. Well, that's right. But I know what they make. Received. What have you received? The second word is required. Required. Who much is given, much is required. Now, I want to give you a civics lesson. Teenagers, and I know I know uh, Tiffany and her bunch teaches it, but I want to make sure you know this. Listen, pay attention. Here's the here's your civics lesson. Is that the truth is with much responsibility with much privilege, with every privilege, with every right comes a responsibility. Man, are y'all okay? With every right comes a responsibility. With every privilege becomes an obligation. You know, this principle of to whom much is given, much is required, it, it, it teaches us a law. Now, 21st century America don't like laws. You, you get that? And the fact that we don't like laws reveals our fallen nature. And, by the way, God doesn't care whether we like it or not. The law just teaches us is the law of accountability. If you read verse 47 and 48, one master knew his father's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, and he got a severe beating. The other guy didn't know what was going on, and he broke the rules, and he got a light beating. You go, wait, why, why, why? It's, like, it's accountability. We will stand accountable. You are accountable for what God has given you. 
Let me give you an illustration from the Bible. Almost done. Remember Matthew 25? Jesus is trying to convey to his listeners about the second coming. He's trying to communicate it to And he told the story about the talents. We call it the parable of the talents. He gave one five, one two, and one one. And he went away. And you know what happened? The five and the two doubled. One buried his. There were people in this room, and you cop out by saying, I only got one talent, Brother Jerry. If you've only got, I don't believe it, but if you only have one talent, don't bury it. Use it. God has called us to use what He has given to us. There is an expectation for you to use your gift, your talent, in the kingdom's work. He has been gracious to you. He has been gracious to me. One day, you and I will give an account to Him. To Him. Not to your pastor, not to your deacons, not to your church, not to your spouse, not to your family, not to anybody else. But one day, face to face, on His terms, you're going to give an account. To whom much is given, received, much is required, required. Here's the third word. It is the word. Reality. This is your time to do a reality check. I'm going to ask you don't reach for your purse. You don't start squirming around. Because this is why we gather this moment right now. Are you prepared? Based on his scale, based on his rules, if he called time to a close right now would you be prepared to meet him what would be your destiny oh by the way if a beating that is punishment comes none of you none of us will get a light beating because we know because we know we know his truth We know his ways. We've heard his word. And here's what I want to say to you. He's calling. And he's calling you. He may be calling some of the long-time church members to take the first step. Take the first step so that those who are not long-time, those people who need a little encouragement, move closer toward the Father and it gives them courage and strength to do likewise. For some of you, it'd be like being on a battlefield because a battle's been going on in your heart. And it'd be like surrender. Would you surrender to Him? I can tell you for surrender of him, he doesn't take prisoners of war. He brings you into his camp and he blesses you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for speaks to our heart. I pray that today that if someone here that needs to take a step toward you. I pray that you'll move them. 
And if that means that you have to move somebody else to the altar before they take take a step, I pray, Lord, that you'll do that. Lord, we need to hear from you. We need what only you can give us. Come, Lord Jesus. Amen.